what a tremendous time in life this is that you guys are going through. You know, humble little Elam, this little place, but for the rest of your life, you're going to remember things that God did in you and spoke to you and, and put in your heart. You're going you're to be able to picture what your ceiling looked like when you were laying in your bunk bed there, looking up kind of there. You'll be able to picture that rest of your life. It's going to be with you, whether like it or not, you know. Uh, your your roommate's socks hanging from the you know some corner in the wall. It's going to be there, all, all all there with you. It's a part of you, part of your life. Um, and uh, we're so thankful to have had this season, uh, this time, with you. Uh, you think the blacktop looking pretty cool? Yeah, it's really it's exciting, isn't it? It's great. Always challenges though, right? You know, here we are making progress on the blacktop, and a tree falls down on the bridge. You know, it's like. It's like, Lord, <laughs> come on, help me out. <laughs> but uh, but we're, just, we're just not stopping. We are not stopping. We're just keeping on going one step at a time. And uh, so this, this final session, I want to I continue to talk with you about what we started last Tuesday, which this, this idea of leadership and insecure leadership. Um, you know, you might think to yourself, Pastor Mike, it's the last session. Can't we just kind of like be kind of like easygoing? You know, why do you have to have, you know, but I have a plan every time we meet together, something I want to see accomplished, something I want to see happen, and uh, I want to talk to you about leadership today. If you uh, uh, didn't bring back with you the, the little guide to help you out, we've got some extra ones here. Why don't you stand up? And uh, anybody need, would like one, you didn't have a chance to bring back with you the one you had before. Okay, some hands, just uh, go ahead and put those up. Get a couple people to help you so that uh, they're not waiting all over, would you? And uh, good. So we're, we're talking about this theme of uh, leadership. And we remember uh, when we talked last time, we talked about this idea of uh, uh, a leader influences, right? You remember that? Let's see if I can get this open. There we go. Okay, so a leader influences what? People to accomplish a purpose. And if you just do the purpose, what are you? You're a doer, right? So, so a leader influences people to accomplish a purpose. The doer just does the purpose. So all of us you know, love doers. There are things we admire about doers. Uh, we can't, things can't get done. Everybody plays the doer at some point. We can't accomplish anything unless people are willing to step up and be doers. But when it comes to really accomplishing things, we need leaders. Why? Because leaders influence other people. If I have a doer, I have the strength of one person. But if I have a leader, I have the strength of everybody that person can influence to accomplish the purpose that, um, that we're uh, going after, that we're involved in. So a leader influences people to accomplish a purpose. And then last week we talked about, uh, number one, the insecure leadership misunderstands the true foundation of leadership. And we talked about that leadership isn't position and leadership isn't power and leadership isn't status, leadership isn't money. That's not all the things. If, if that's what your leadership is based in, it's the lowest kind of level of leadership that's there. We, we, we're, we're, we're looking at 
our influence on people, and we're saying we want people to follow not because we have the power to make them follow or not because we have the position that demands that they follow or not because we have the money to pay them. We want people to follow because something inside of them it identifies with us and wants to go with us in this mission, in this purpose, in this cause, in this thing that we're, we're going after. And so we, we say leadership is uh, based in relationship. We, you know, I talked about my children, that if I was going to have a place of leadership in their life at a, at a time that they when, they, when they were independent, they could do what they wanted to do, I had to build the connection with them so that they would still be seeking me, my help, and still have an interest in what I had to say and things like that. I had to build that connection with them while they were, you know, younger until finally they came to that place that they, were, they still wanted that connection. They still wanted that link. Now, when I say leadership is relational in its nature, I don't mean by that that you're that you can be friends, you know, with everybody, you know, that everybody, you know, the leader, oh, he's the, you know, the, the glad hander, the schmoozer, the person who comes into the meeting, shakes everybody's hand, and, you know, kisses the babies and, and some kind of politician image of a, of a leader. That's not what I'm trying to say. You're not going to make, as a matter of fact, when you are a leader, you're not going to make everybody happy. It's inevitable. Uh, you're going to be in a position of making decisions you're going to have to choose the good sometimes of the majority over the good of the individual. And uh, as a result of that, sometimes there's, there's uh, some tension. So I'm, I'm not saying that's it. But, but when people are confident in your integrity, they're confident in your competence, they're confident that God's favor and hand is on you, then they're willing to follow you. They're, they're willing to go even when sometimes it's not in their personal best interest, the thing that's happening. So, uh, but, but Pharaoh didn't understand this, this level or this understanding of, of leadership. Okay, second principle we want to see in our notes is this. Insecure leadership leads from fear rather than from vision. Exodus 1.10 says, Come, let us deal wisely with them, lest they multiply. This is Pharaoh talking. And in the event of war, they also join themselves to those who hate us, and fight against us and depart from the land. So here is, even though this has never happened in all of, of their history, the, uh, here is this Pharaoh, he comes in, and he says, look, we need, to, we need to be careful here because these people could hurt us, and we need to make sure we have protection up so that they cannot do that. Um, uh, in your notes it says, secure leadership sees the best future and reaches toward it. And there's a great quote here. Look, look at this quote because I think this is a great picture of a leader. It says, a leader discovers the hidden chasm or chasm between where things are and where things would better be and strings up a makeshift bridge to attempt the crossing. From the other side, he guides those who dare to cross this rickety traverse until the engineers can build a sturdier span for all. So here is this picture of the leader. The leader sees where things ought to be. I see where we are now. But I see where things ought to be. And then they begin to build a bridge from where we are now to where things ought to be. And they begin helping people make that, you know, crossing. I don't know if you've ever seen sometimes the way they uh, would build bridges in the old days, you know, where maybe they'd have a string and they would shoot a string on an arrow across a, 
a, uh, a canyon kind of a thing. And then, and then with that string, somebody on the other side would begin pulling a rope over, you know. And then they'd pull a bigger rope over. And then they would just begin from that thing to build, to construct. Here's where we are, and here's where we ought to be. This is what's supposed to happen. You know, some, if I were to say to you, do you have a vision, many of you would say, oh, no, I don't, I'm not a visionary type person. That's, you know, that's really not who I am. But the, tr- the truth is, all a vision is, is you having a picture in your mind of where things should be. Knowing where we are right now, but where should, where should things be, right? Maybe if, if, it's a, if it was traveling, you have a picture in your mind of, hey, look, we're here in Lima, New York right now, but we should be in Orlando, Florida. You know, that's, this is, and so you have this picture in your mind, and now you begin to build, how am I going to get from here to Orlando, Florida? What is going to, you know, what's going to uh, happen here? How are we going we gonna to see this thing um, this connection coming. I actually had a little vision in my brain at one point of having Elam's fourth year be in Florida. What would you think of that? After three, yeah, I think that's a great idea, don't you? After three years in Lima, we say the fourth year we're doing in Florida, right? And I, I had a building and everything, but who knows? Well, you know, who knows? Maybe it'll be a couple years down the line. Maybe something will happen, okay? Um, but so, so it's where we are now and where things are ought to be, building that, that bridge. And uh, it's, it's interesting here because you can't get there by focusing on what's wrong. You cannot lead people by only understanding what you would need to avoid. You must see what you want them to become. If I'm going to uh, move a person forward, I have to have a dream. You know, when I look at, just like we talk about locations, I can look at people and I can say, okay, I see where the person is now. That's reality. Nothing wrong with understanding that. This is where they are right now. But where is it God ultimately wants them to be? What's the ultimate thing that he wants to do with them? And how can I help them move from where they are now to where God ultimately wants them to be? The thing that is going to bring them. And you can't move a person from where they are now to where God wants them to be by focusing on the negative. I remember one time... um, I was uh, down in, it was back years ago when um, my kids say, remember dad when you were famous? Okay, well back, back years ago when uh, I used to do a lot of traveling and speaking and things like that, I was, I was on a television show in Pittsburgh, uh, PA. I forget what the name of the, of the thing was, but it was a Christian, Christian television in Pittsburgh. And, uh, and so I'm on this television show in Pittsburgh. And while I'm on this television show, also on the show is another Christian uh, uh, person, unusual Christian person. His name is Tito Walenda. Was one of the other people being interviewed on this show. Tito Walenda. Anybody ever heard that name Walenda before? You ever heard that? Yeah, Walenda. Walenda. The Flying Walendas, right? The Flying Walendas are a circus act uh, that historically, from from you know father to son, over many many years, Tito Walenda. He's a Christian, and what the Walendas do is they walk the high wire. They, that's what they do. They walk the high, the high wire, way up high in the sky, walking the, the wire. Uh, it was a Walenda back just a couple years ago. Uh, I think he, was it uh, some big canyon or Niagara Falls? I can't remember what it was. It wasn't Niagara Falls. Some big canyon out west. It, Grand Canyon, wasn't it? Remember, that was one of the Walendas that did that, that, did that uh, act right there. That, that person also was a believer. But, so, so on this show, Tito Walenda was there with me. So the show ends. 
and uh, Tito Walenda uh, has a, uh, he has like a traveling uh, bus or something, I don't know what the, out in the parking lot of the, of the, of the uh, place where we're, we're speaking. And uh, he says, uh, come on, don't you come out, have, you know, have a cup of coffee, come over to my, you know, I think my wife is there, and I'll introduce you to everybody, come on over. So I said, okay, great. So I, I go over to the Walenda's, you know, traveling circus thingy-diggy, I don't know what you call it, you know, trailer, and, and uh, go in, and it's, you know, it's like a house, you know, kind of a thing, and I'm sitting there, and they were talking, and we're, so, I, so, I, so I'm in the process, I said, well, how, how old are you when you start teaching the kids how to walk the high wire, you know? And Tito Walendez, oh, we start when they're, when they just, when they first learn how to walk, we have them immediately, we start walking them on the, on a, on a wire. It's just a, it's just a little bit above the ground, just a foot or so above the ground, but we, we walk them on that wire immediately. They start, they start doing that. I said, really? And I said, uh, I said, do you think anybody could do this? Is it something that, you know, you, you, you have to have a special gift for or something like that? He said, oh, no, anybody could do it. Anybody, I think anybody that, you know, we started with them and trained them and, I said, do you think I could do it? You know, do you think I could walk the high wire, you know? And he, and he, he, he says, oh, yeah. He says, yeah, we could teach you how to walk the high wire. You could do, you could do that. And I thought, oh, okay, good, good, good. And I said, okay, if you had one thing that you wanted me to know when I walked the high wire, what would you want me to know? What would you want me to know above everything else? And... Uh, the guy, the guy thought for a second, then he looked at me and said, well, he says, the one thing you have to learn, he says, is where you look is where you go. Wherever you look is where you go. And so he says, when we walk the high wire, he says, the first thing we do is, is we come up on the wire, he says, and we look out ahead of us, and we pick a spot out in front of us. And when we walk the wire, we don't actually look at the wire. He says, we feel the wire with our feet. But we look at the spot. Because where you look is where you will go. Right? What you focus on, that's where you go. And uh, he says, if you look down, you go down. That's just the way, it, you know, he says, so you don't look down. He says, you pick that spot and you focus on it. And you, you look. See, And that's just the, that's the same way it is uh, for uh, leading and for people. I cannot help a person if all I can see all I can talk to them about is what they need to avoid. Don't do this. Don't do that. Don't do, you know, don't be involved. Don't be, because where you look is where you will go, see? But if I can get them to focus on what is my destiny, what's my calling, what is this thing that God wants to do with me in my life, if I can get them to focus on that, then they will move toward that thing, Right? All of us have problems in our lives. We could all spend our time staring at our problems, our weaknesses, our, our, our uh, hereditary sins that have traveled down past us. and We could all focus all of our time on all that kind of stuff. But the problem is, if you focus on that, that's where you end up going. You have to focus on what is the thing, you know? Thy will be done. Jesus asked you to pray. He said, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. If God's will is being done on earth as it is in heaven, what does my life look out look like? What am I going after? If God had his perfect way through me, what would happen? Where would things be? Where would I be going? See, when I begin to focus on that, 
then I, I'm, able to, I'm able to lead others, and I'm also uh, able to encourage them and help them with what they do, you know. Each of my children, I, uh, uh, you know, when they were in their mother's womb, my wife and I would pray to get a word for them, you know. For my son Toby, it was prophet to the nations, and we, we got the word. For my son Todd, it was, do thou the work of an evangelist, make full proof of your ministry. I can remember when Todd was a teenager, he went on a short-term missions trip to uh, Kazakhstan. And he was with a group of people that, uh, he was a musician, and he was with a group of people that um, they were traveling from village to village. And what they would do is they'd pull up in a van, they would pull out, uh, they would bring their equipment out of this van, and they would set up and start playing music in this, you know, Kazakhstan village, just at the square, whatever the center of the square was of this village. And all the young people all around the area would be going, there's an American rock band in the middle of our village, in the middle of Kazakhstan, and the people would come running from all over. He's got pictures of, you know, thousands of people. They would just come running to have a chance to hear an American rock band, you know. And, of course, they would be playing contemporary Christian music, basically, is what they were playing. And so all these people would come, and they'd gather. And, and uh, I remember Todd, uh, one, one night, the, the guy who was leading the team said to Todd, Todd, I want you to make a presentation of the gospel, you know. And, and Todd got up, and he spoke to all these thousands of people and made a presentation of the gospel. And later on, he, he, he sent me an email. And he said, Dad, he said, it was so weird. He said, as I began to share the gospel with these people, he said, I could just hear in my mind the words that you spoke over me. Do thou the work of an evangelist. Make full proof of your ministry. And he said, I could hear those words. And he said, I just realized I've been created for this, right? I've been created for this. Now, each of my kids have plenty. They were, they were teenagers just like everybody else was a teenager, you know. And there was plenty of stuff for us to focus on that we could have, you know, sometimes I'd walk into their, to their bedroom, you know, and the bedroom was absolutely trashed. Like some of your dorm rooms, just trashed. <laughs> and and, and I'd, I'd, I'd walk, and my, my, my wife would come, and she'd look in the room, and she'd say, that is it. She'd say, that is it. I am grounding them for life. I never, I, I don't, you know, honey, she'd start crying. We failed. We failed. You know, I tried as hard as I could, but we failed. We couldn't get them, you know. And I'd have to assure her, you know, I'd put my arm around her. I'd, hug her, I'd, say, I'd, say, I'd say, honey, honey, this is only one little piece. And I said, and it's not the end. The game is not over yet. We, we still got to, you don't know. God could still do something through them, even though, the, you know, we can't find anything in their room. You know, he could still do something through them. See, so, so, if we get, if I focused on their room, I would have lost all vision. You know what I mean? I would have lost all possibility for them. I had to look past the room and say, what were the words that God spoke to us about them, right? Prophet to the nations, do thou the work of an evangelist. In Tracy's case, it was, it was uh, dealing with Esther and leading many in worship. And, and what was the... 
what was the what was it that God get we need to we need to keep focused on that thing right because if you look into the room you will go into the room you will fall into the room right and that'll be the end of you so uh, it's very important we can't focus on on that stuff okay number number three insecure leadership believes the worst about its followers come let us deal wisely with them he says lest they multiply and in the event of war, the scripture that we already read, he's, he, he, he believes the worst about them, right? Even though they've not done anything to deserve it uh, in that kind of way. You know, sometimes you'll talk to a manager and he'll, he'll talk about his employees. He'll say, nobody cares. They're just here for the paycheck. They do the least that they can. That's, that's his, he, he believes the worst about them, you know. Sometimes I'll talk to pastor, and the pastor will say, everybody's too busy to help. They, they don't want to tie. They're always late, you know. They're, you know he, focused on their negatives. They're believing the worst about them. One of the best things that I ever did was uh, early when I became the pastor of the church uh, here, I taught a series of messages called Living Life Without Regrets. And one of the things I did for this series was I, I did a survey of everybody in the church. And I said, if you continue to live your life the way you're living it right now, what kind of regrets do you think you would have? And people, you know, wrote back their responses. And it was, it was a fantastic thing for me because suddenly I realized as I read that survey that people, that, you know, we're, we're telling you should do this, you should do that. But the problem was... You know, people, they wanted to do the right thing. Now, they didn't always do the right thing, but they wanted. It was, they, they, they saw it as a regret, see? You know, uh, we want them to, you know, it, was, it changed everything. When I got up in front of people and I realized, you know what? Every person in this room wants to give. Matter of fact, they want to give more than they've ever given before. They want to have the faith to do something extraordinary in this area. And when I get up and when I speak to them, I believed in that more than I believed everybody in the room is selfish. Everybody in the room is only focused on their own needs. Everybody in the room is just going to take care of themselves first. Are, are you with me? You follow what I'm saying? Is, is what do you believe about your followers? Do you believe that they're people that want to do the right thing? Or do you believe instead that they're, uh, you know, that they, they're just after themselves, out for themselves? You know, we, you work on a, a college campus, it, it's very easy because you're dealing with young people and dealing with immature people. It's very easy for you to think, you know, all oh, of these people don't want to do this or they don't want to do that or why don't they discipline themselves? Why don't, you know, but when you, you've got to look past all that junk, all that stuff, and you've got to see, hey, I know what these people really want. Every time I've gotten up here, every Tuesday when I've spoken to you, I've known something in my heart. The thing was, I knew that you wanted to be a Joseph. I knew. It wasn't like, you maybe didn't do all the things that would set you up for that or anything, but, but deep down in your heart, you wanted that. I knew you wanted what James had to say to you, that you wanted to have true faith and true Christianity and true. And every time I spoke to you, I wasn't speaking to you out of all oh, these people don't care, they don't want it, they're not interested. I was speaking to you knowing that the deepest longing of your heart is to do what God wants you to do, do the right thing. It doesn't mean you do it every time. You make poor choices and you make poor decisions, but the deepest desire of your heart is that. And I want to encourage you and strengthen you in that deep desire. Secure leadership believes the best of people. 1 Corinthians 13, 7 says this, 
If you love someone, you will be loyal to him no matter what the cost. You will always believe in him, always expect the best of him, and always stand your ground in defending him. Uh, uh, a great quote here says this, it is wonderful when the people believe in their leader, but it's more wonderful when the leader believes in his people. You know, uh, I think one of the greatest things I, uh, people have said to me over the years um, uh, in terms of in my role of leadership is when they've looked at me and they've said to me, you saw something in me I could not even see in myself. And you made room for me to be able to try this and step out in that area and go after this. And what a tremendous privilege, right, to believe in somebody and to open a door for them and to see that thing which has been in them all the time, all at once find its manifestation, find itself. It's, it's such a powerful, awesome thing. Okay, um, number four. Insecure leadership will be overly harsh in its dealings trying to influence people out of position and power rather than relationship. So they appointed taskmasters over them to afflict them with hard labor. That was their remedy. The remedy was they were going to afflict them. They appointed taskmasters over them to afflict them with hard labor, and they built for Pharaoh's storage cities in Pithom and Ramses. Secure leadership exercises true authority. This is the kind of authority that Jesus had. It says, for he was teaching them as one having authority, not as their scribes. And then in your notes, I put this, this quote. True leadership or true authority is used to build people up, to mend them and to serve them, not to control them. You, you, when you get involved in something that's not right, one of the things that you'll see is that the leadership's tendency will be to tip toward wanting to control rather than to build up and to mend, right? To strengthen. Uh, true authority works for the protection of the follower, not the protection of the leader. And this is when, when something has gotten whacked out. When you, you're, you, you, you just take this right now. It might not be relevant for you right at this moment, but you just put this on a shelf in your heart right now. Someday down the line, you're going to find yourself in a situation where the leader is functioning in such a way that it's about them, that it's about their position. It's about lifting them up. It's about making their, them exalted. It's about, and, and, and your position, your role as a follower is about essentially serving them and helping them. But that's not what true leadership is about. True leadership is a, works for the protection of the follower, not the protection of the leader. You know, in a true, in true authority, the leader sacrifices himself, not protects himself. He, 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 you know, he, he gives his life for the flock, not, not, not guards his life and protects his life in the midst of the situation that he's in. So it's, it, it, there, there's, a, there's a spirit there. You know, um, one of the greatest prescription for disasters, and this is a common uh, challenge that happens to pastors at different times, is to discipline your children not for their sake, but so that you look good in the eyes of the people that are around you. See? And this creates a terrible environment in the home that, will, will create, that creates problems. And let me explain to you why it is. 
If I discipline my children, not for their sake, but for, to make me look good, when do I ever look good enough? What do you think? I mean, no matter how good I look, right, wouldn't you always want to look just a little bit better in people's eyes? Wouldn't you? So what does that mean? It means that your kids can never, ever be good enough. Because if you're disciplining them for their sake, then there's no problem. But if you're disciplining them to make you look good, then when can they ever make you look good enough? They can never can. They can never reach that goal. And so your tendency will be overly harsh, overly, you know, after them. Why? Because you're disciplining them for your good, not for their good, see, in the situation. I remember years ago, my son, Todd, uh, I was pastoring the church at the time over here, and, uh, and my son, Todd, um, came to me, and he was probably, you know, maybe 15, and he came to me and he said, uh, he says, Dad, I want to wear an earring. And uh, so, I, you know, I'm like, oh, boy, an earring. This is going to cause problems with people. You know what I mean? Because, <laughs> you know, you, you see the pastor's son, he's the one with the earring. You know what I mean? You, you kind of thing. You know, it's, and so, so, so I said to him, I said, well, why do you want to wear an earring? I said, what's, the, what's, the, and what's motivating this? Are you, are you trying to say something with the earring? Are you trying to say, you know, hey, I'm... Uh, uh, you know, I'm, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I reject my family's values. I, you know, what are you trying? No, 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 Dad, no, no. It just, it looks good. I just think it looks good. It looks good. Your earring looks good. I said, well, what are you going to do if we go into a situation and uh, it would be inappropriate for you to have an earring in? Maybe we know the people have a real problem or there's some real issue there. What would you think? Oh, I, I've got it, Dad. There's this thing you can just kind of put in there. It just looks just like skin. And he said it just, no, it, won't even, it won't even show up. Okay. And I thought about it for a little bit. And then I said to him, okay, you can go get an earring. Right? Because in my mind, if I was thinking of myself, I would have said, no earrings ever. It's not happening. Not in this house. I'm your father. That's why. Right? That's what, because, because I knew it was going to be a pain in the butt for me. I was going to have to talk to people. I was going to have to explain. I was going to have to do all kinds of stuff. Right? But I wasn't about me. It was about him. What was going on inside of him? And I felt his attitude was good. His spirit was good about the whole thing. And I said, okay, if you feel like an earring is what you want, go, you know, go ahead and get an earring. See? Not disciplining him for my sake, but disciplining him for his sake. A, uh, historically, there was a bird called the nightingale. And in Britain, they would have these, uh, they would sell these birds like you, you know, like we get canaries now or parakeets or this kind of thing. They would sell nightingales. And the, the wonderful thing about a nightingale was at night, the bird would sing a beautiful song. But when it was during the day, the bird was quiet. And, of course, the markets were all held during the day. So the bird, you know, people would come, you know, what's that? It's a nightingale. And, uh, and uh, you know, uh, what's it do? You know, it sings a beautiful song at night. You know, what's it sound like? You know, they couldn't tell them. You know, this is, you, know you have to come back at night. You know, but we're not open at night. So. And, and so, anyway, so one of the people in the market got a brilliant idea. And they took a hot pin and they blinded the nightingale. So now, the nightingale sings a beautiful song all day long. 
great for the person who's trying to sell the nightingale, not so good for the nightingale, right? Are you with me? See? Many leaders are like that. They would rather have you blind and serving than have you seeing and thinking for yourself. Are you with me? I'm telling you now, I'm telling you something that's going to help you someday in the future. You're going to find yourself in a situation, and you're going to all at once realize, wow, this person, these people, uh, it's, this is really about blinding me so that I'm, I'm serving somebody else's purpose, right, rather than what God has, has done for me and done in me and through me and this kind of thing. Okay, number five. Insecure leadership loses control by trying to control by force. But the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and the more they spread out so that they were in dread of the sons of Israel. Now, they tried to control them by force. And uh, let me talk to you a little bit about, because this, you know, all leadership really finds its origin in the family. And... uh, You know, when we think about disciplining children, the Bible gives a certain view and the world gives a view. The, if, we, if we were to say it like this, if we were to say, so here's, uh, you know, here's 21 age and here's zero age, and, uh, and so we're going up. The world would have this approach. The Bible teaches this approach. Let me explain to you what I mean. So let's say this represents, this up and down, we said, is, is age. The, this thing represents discipline, right? This is very little discipline, very little. This is a lot of discipline, okay, or a lot. And, 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 and this, I think I'm saying this wrong. Hang on a second. I'll, I'll just explain it to you and make it clear. So here's, the, here, so here's the picture. In the world, they say this. When a child is little, give the child all the freedom that it can possibly have. Just take that little child. Little, it's a little innocent child. It's it's hasn't been um, hasn't been uh, its creativity hasn't been you know stifled. It's just a, and let that child just do what it wants to do. Just let that thing run wild. And as the child ages, then you begin to try to give him some rules. You have to give that child some rules because you have to socialize him so he can get along with other people and relate and connect. But when he's little, you just, you, just let it, you just let it go. But as the child ages, we give him rules. Now, this prescription right here is a prescription for disaster, right? How many of you have found as a child gets older, they want more rules? Have you found that to be the case? No. When a child gets older, they want more freedom, right? They want less rules. So the Bible has a different approach. The Bible says when the child is young, you discipline the child. You highly discipline the child. But as the child ages, you give the child more freedom. Help him to make more decisions by himself, step, stepping out in that way, right? To, to, to develop and become finally an independent person who has, has all the freedom, basically, that society allows. Okay. So let me take this. Give you another diagram. Okay. 
So over here, we're going to say this is discipline, and this is instruction. Okay, and this is 0 again to 21. And go like this, like this. Okay, so, so looking at this, uh, at this uh, dialogue, diagram, we, we have the scripture here actually from Ephesians 6, 4 will help us this. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord, right? Discipline and instruction. Okay, so this is what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches when the child is young, you are high on discipline, low on instruction. Or, you know. so, so when you're, when you're, when you're dealing with a, you know, a two-year-old and you say, you know, stop right there, you can't have the two-year-old look at you and going, uh, I don't know if I feel good about that. Right? Because when you say stop to the two-year-old, maybe it's a life-threatening situation, right? A truck's going to come by, run that kid over. You've got to be able to have that child stop. They obey your voice, right? So you discipline them and you work with them so that they are, they, they are, you're high on discipline, but you're not explaining everything. You're saying, you just do it because daddy told you to do it. You just do what daddy tells you right now, right? When a child is little. But as the child begins to age, we see something happens. Instruction or nurture starts going up and discipline starts going down. Why? Because, because eventually you're trying to produce a young adult who has the ability to function without external disciplines being put on their life. They have the ability to function because they have an internal thing happening inside of them that lets, lets them know what, whether something is good or not good or this kind of thing, right? Does, that, does this make sense to you? Okay. So in, in groups, any group, right? So you come into the school. So we have coming into the school freshmen, sophomores, third years, okay? We have coming into the school. So in a sense, you might say, look at this like this and say this. Okay, when you first come to school, it might feel to you like this place is all about rules. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Your first semester as a freshman here? It's, it's, it's like all about rules. And instruct, you know, so you're going, well, why do I have to do this, you know? And the dean's telling you, just do it. You signed on the dotted line when you came in the door. Do what you're told. Right? This is, this is, you know. But why? I don't like to study at night. Too bad. That's when study time is. You know what I mean? You, we're all going to study at night. You know. Okay? You, you, come in, you come in in that way. High on discipline and low on instruction. The idea being, though, that as time progresses, there actually is a, is a change that begins to take place in your experience. So it starts out, at the beginning of your experience, it's all about telling. We just tell you. Nobody's asking your opinion. Nobody's looking for you to, to rearrange what's been happening here for the last 90 years. To give us the latest revelation. Right? It's, just, it's just, this is it, just do it, right? Your first semester especially is that way. Then, then a shift begins to take place which, you know, in what's happening. It starts out telling, and then it moves to, to what we would call selling. 
Okay, so it starts out, first of all, we just tell you to do something. And then as you're here, we begin to try and talk to you about why do we do the things that we do, right? So uh, we, we have a rule, you know, we don't want you drinking alcohol, right? And if you were in Brother Stacy's class or one of those, we, we would go through and we would talk to you why there are issues about alcohol, what some of the damage that can be done, what are some of the things that are happening, we're not telling you it's a sin if you ever drink a beer. We're not telling you it's, you're going to go to hell. We're, we're trying to teach you a principle of wisdom. We start out just telling you. Nobody does it. Don't do it. Don't. You're done. If you do that, you're in trouble, right? But then we move toward selling, right? This is the same way it happens, the same way in the family. And it, we're trying to persuade you as to why that value is important. The third level we would get to would be, I'll, I'll call it participation, this is where we actually want you to be involved in the process. Well, what would be the best way to do that? Okay, let's sit down with the dean and let's lay out a contract together. And you, 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 you make an agreement about how you think it should be done, what should be done. And we'll stand with you in your agreement. What's, what's happening? We, 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 we've taught you the principles. Now you begin to lay out something that is healthy and productive and positive, And you begin to do it. And, of course, the ultimate objective that we're after this final objective is delegation, which means we basically have released it over to you now. You know, some of you are seniors. You're going to be leaving here. Nobody's going to ever talk to you anymore about um, drinking, or nobody's going to talk to you about some of the relational rules that we might have had for you. Nobody's going to talk to you about something. You're going out into life now. So the question is, what have you absorbed, right, so that you can make good, productive decisions in your life as you're moving out, right? Because that's what, ultimately, we, we only have you if you want it, you're willing, and we only have you for three years, maybe in a little while, it'll be four years. Well, it's limited time, just like parenting is limited. We only have a certain window. And then from that point, what has been taken in, what has been absorbed, right? Telling, selling, participating, delegating. Uh, every group that you will work with will have these elements. You'll have immature people that are just getting started that you'll have to just kind of tell them what to do. But then you need to progress and begin to impart to them until ultimately they can begin to handle it by themselves. Guys are like, does it make sense to you what I'm talking about? Okay, see, so I'm, all I'm sharing with you right now, you know, those of you who are going out the door, this is the philosophy that guides what you're experiencing when you're here at school. This is where we're coming from. So every year you're here, you're going to get more and more freedom. Every year you're here, we're going to care more and more about what you think. We're going to try to get you to express opinions, try to you to do, have more leadership roles, try to get, make you an influencer as an RA or whatever. Every year you're here, we're trying to move you toward the day when you walk away and now it'll be, what did you pull into your own heart? What is yours? What did you make yourself, right? What, you know, what, what is it that God gave you out of this experience, the crucible of this experience? Well, every year we find ourselves also at this moment, at the end of the 
semester, and we have a communion time. And our brother Stacy Klein has done this for many years, and I've asked him to join the communion.